Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways Podcast. We are coming to you with episode 41. I am your host as always, Terry Plucknett. And with me as always are my co-hosts, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. How's it going guys? Superb. Chipper. Awesome. We are uh, we're coming to you over Memorial Day weekend and uh, we have a pretty good program in store for you. Uh, we are going to be uh, reviewing a brand new movie that just came out this weekend, as well as doing a deep dive into one of our uh, our favorite action films. Uh, but before we get too far into this, uh, Todd, what are you drinking? I am drinking Legato Reposado Tequila from San Matias, Mexico, and it's really nice, really drinkable. Lovely, lovely as always. Zach, what do you got? I'm drinking a new fabulous invention that has come into my life over the last few weeks. This is Charles Shaw Reserve, or as we like to call it, Two Buck Chuck. This wine is available for $2 at Trader Joe's, and uh, it's fabulous. It's life-changing. I mean, $2 and wine, that's, that's my kind of language. That's my kind of beverage. <laughs> it's wonderful. Exactly what it needs to be. <laughs> and it doesn't taste right. like pine tar or off a, at the back of the LA City school bus. Well, that's that's the important part, right? That 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 that's the high bar you set for your wines, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, for for mine, I have to uh, give a shout out to my wife as she is now going through stores and looking for what would be good podcast beer, and so this one is out of a small uh, brewery in Tualatin, Oregon, but it is the Stickmen Brewing Company. Yes. And and it is their Smack Triple IPA. Um yeah, it was like, well, that that's a that's a podcast beer if there ever was one coming from the Stickman Brewing Company. So, cheers. Beautiful. Cheers. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure that you uh, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes if you like what you hear. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and use the hashtag AskAlmostSideways if you have any questions for us you ever want to ask. But without further ado, let's hop into our first topic here. And that first topic is our movie review and we are looking at of all the movies that came out this weekend there were quite a few big ones but the one we decided to look at was kind of one of the smaller ones uh, but it looked like it definitely had some potential and that is the film Brightburn I know it's been difficult for you lately that you feel different from other kids just the floor Brian <laughs> you are different Caitlin get my hand up he's a creep help him up Uh, directed by David Yuraveski and written by Brian Gunn and Mark Gunn, who are the brothers of the producer James Gunn, who's known for the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Uh, this movie stars Elizabeth Banks and David Denman. 
who are parents in rural Kansas who are they're a married couple in rural Kansas who discover a uh, a baby that fell down from the skies in a spaceship in their backyard sounds very uh, uh, Clark Kent esque and they decide to raise him as their own and what they uh, as they as he grows up as he reaches middle school um, Brandon, their son, you begin to realize is not going to become a Superman, but the supervillain, as he has all of the, uh, all of the, what seem like superpowers of Superman, but his, is pure evil. And, uh, and he begins to terrorize, uh, their small town of Brightburn, Kansas. Um, I watched this on Saturday. Todd and I actually got to see this together, which is is a rarity these days. When I was watching it, I was not extremely uh, impressed by what I was watching. It was, uh, it felt like something that uh, that a high schooler would have put together. It was very rough around the edges. Um, the there were some some characters that were somewhat somewhat interesting, but I did not really connect with it at all. Uh, it felt like it was trying to be this like anti-Superman story, but also trying to be a horror film, and it ended up just being pretty bad at being either. Um, there were most of the beats that were coming were very predictable. Any of the uh, any of the best moments were already spoiled in the trailer. Uh, this was not a movie that I was impressed by really at all. Uh, I hear that they're thinking about making this into a into its own kind of expanded universe with sequels potentially, and I hope not because what it started with I didn't think was very good. Um, I'm giving this one and a half stars. Uh, the kid was fairly compelling, but everybody else around him was pretty lousy. I felt, um, and and yeah, it felt like a student film. It didn't it didn't feel like there was any depth to anything that was happening. And so, yeah, one and a half stars for me. Zach, what did you think of Brightburn? All right, well, I have to say a couple things about Brightburn. I, I had not really heard of this movie prior to us agreeing to, to see it. We were, a yeah. little bit of backstory, we, we were thinking about seeing another movie this week, and I won't say what movie that was, because maybe we'll talk about it another time. Todd kind of wisely said, oh, we're all going to think the same thing about that movie, so why not go to this other movie that we don't know as much about, and we'll see what the reviews are. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I really, I had never seen the trailer for this movie, I didn't even have a plot synopsis going in. And you uh, thought it was a Netflix movie. I thought it was. Yeah, I did. I thought it was a Netflix movie. <laughs> Actually, the reason I agreed to do it was because like, yo, I'm out of money. I don't have enough money to go pay for a $15 freaking ticket. And uh, yeah, it wasn't it was it's not on Netflix, unfortunately. Um, what another curious thing about this movie is it's the only movie I can think of in my life that I've watched it, and after I saw it, I couldn't remember the name of it. I couldn't remember the name of it as I was watching it either. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it, it definitely gets some props for having a profoundly unmemorable title. Um, 
But uh, as for the movie itself, um, I, I think Terry is, is, is mostly on point. Um, it, it's, it's pretty unremarkable. It's, I, you know, I see the Superman comparisons, but it's like this movie is too stupid to even realize that there are Superman parallels. Um, but you know, it, it's, uh, I, I mean, the, 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 the character isn't really well defined at all. Like, uh, you know, if this, if, if these parents really did find this kind of alien kid in their backyard, like why, what, what, what is the thing that they're keeping in the, gro- in the, in the barn? Is it like the actual creature? I, what kind of powers does he possess? Like the movie doesn't really seem to answer those questions and it doesn't really seem to make sense why this kid is just so like so much of a dickwad. Like what's his problem? Why is he killing people? Why can't you? Why can't he harness his powers for I don't know something good or something unique or I don't. Know, the movie is so it doesn't have a brain, so all it can focus on is these really uh, gory, ghastly, violent death scenes like that are, that almost feel like they're out of an Eli Roth movie or something. So they they feel out of place. Um, the acting's kind of interesting. All I can see when I see David Denman is Roy from The Office, and he looks. Ex- yes. yeah, I mean it's the exact same. Yeah, I, I, so I can't get out of that. I can't think of Elizabeth Banks in anything other than a comedy and i especially really can't think of uh matt jones as anything other than badger from breaking bad and what's also funny is that throughout the movie he's like saying brandon brandon and brandon is also badger's real name in breaking bad so that was like a distraction too (laughs) someone some producer must have known these things but maybe they were too scared to speak up at a meeting or something like that um a couple other quick qualms with this movie this movie takes place in kansas it doesn't look like kansas at all this movie like looks like it's more like Appalachia maybe because there's like rolling hills and forests and things like that um it doesn't look like Kansas at all and 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 uh you know um the uh badger character or Noah is his name does wear a Kansas t-shirt but that's the only other you know signifier that there there is a Kansas I do like the scene kind of toward the end when you know shit's hitting the fan and everything's going crazy and then you get the female deputy that comes into the house and all this crazy stuff is going on and then she gets on a radio and says we got a 217 in progress yeah okay so there's in in the in the code there's a 217 written about an alien kid who's tearing up the town and family yeah okay that that makes sense um the the one part of the movie i did like i i liked his the little relationship he had with his girlfriend i i wish the movie had had gone into that more it could have been like maybe a, a let the right one in type thing where like you know they like become boyfriend and girlfriend and they they beat up on all the bullies at the school and you know the the mom is a is a mean mom and things like that you know the, but the movie's not smart enough for that it's really a, a waste of time and it was and, and it was especially wasteful because uh uh, you know, I couldn't even have alcohol in the movie theater, which is uh, extra unfortunate. Maybe that would have made the experience better. 100% agree with Terry for the second straight episode. One half stars. Waste of time. Well, and, and I think your point is uh, with uh, like with the girlfriend character that they could have done something there. I felt like there were so many different things in there where it's like, okay, if you would have explored this a little more, it would have made for a much more a much more interesting movie. Or if you would have developed this a little more, but like I said, it's so rough around the edges that it is it just does everything poorly and doesn't quite know what it wants to be. All right, Todd, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm yeah, we're gonna be thrice disapproved here for sure. Uh, I don't know. I, well, you got to guys got to remember the movie is only ninety one minutes long. It's not like this is like a two hour and ten. It was, minute it was a long ninety one minutes, man. I was checking my watch. <laughs> it felt very long. But I, I mean, I, I think there were some creative things in it. There's some creative deaths uh, 
in it, but I mean, it's just so messy, everything else, it just kind of seems like Final Destination or something like that. But, uh, with, like, the jarring, like, like, death scenes, I mean, it, ones that, movies that would be better at doing that kind of thing and making it still work are movies like Robocop and stuff like that, where there's actually something else going on that would imply that that would be a possibility that if something that you're watching, I don't know, it, it seemed really random, but they were kind of cool death scenes, uh, <laughs> overall. Um, but, I mean, the coming-of-age thing, it's, it's almost felt like more of a Spider-Man thing than a, than a Superman thing, but, I don't know. I, I don't think the kid was all that good. He was just stoic the whole time, so you don't really care about him. If it was, like, the kid from Looper or something like that, like, that's how this character should have been played more, instead of, like, just becoming, like, the Omen. Uh, I thought the acting pretty much was awful all around. Like, my movie wife, like, she was horrible. It, it, she was acting like Shelley Duvall in The Shining. And it was, like, she even, like, running to the shed at the end. Like, I, I was just, like, it, she was just, like, wailing. I was, like, uh, it was pretty bad. The kid does have some talent. He he kind of has those eyes of like Cameron Bright. He can make a career out of doing this kind of thing, but I don't know. In this movie, he really just kind of throws some fits and screams a lot. I I don't know. I I could see there being sequels to this because it was only like a seven million dollar budget. But I mean, I really don't know why they would do that other than the fact that the guns are at the like peak of their Hollywood power right now, and uh, I mean they could probably still turn a profit on it. It's not the worst thing to come out this year, but it's so grainy and unpolished but that I pretty much agree with you guys. It's I give it two stars, so I'm I'm a little bit a little bit higher than you guys, but yeah. Well, it, it is with your movie wife. Yeah, you have to. There's a curve there. So something interesting here. Um, so the kid, his name is Jackson A. Dunn, and this is actually the second movie of his that we've reviewed in the last month. Yeah, because he was the young Ant Man, right? Yeah, he yeah, he was twelve right. year old Scott Lang in uh, in Endgame. I just thought that was interesting. Well, so there's a couple other things that I wanted to point out in this movie that I thought were amusing in, in their stupidity. The I love that the only way they're able to deduce that, and, and I'm talking about the parent characters. The only way they're able to deduce that their son is behind all these grisly murders is the fact that he leaves his signature at the scene of the crime. It's like they couldn't connect the dots. They had to see that, oh, it's his signature, his BB. It's like the wet bandits in Home Alone leaving the sink undone. You know, it's like that's that's his calling card. He got he's got to leave it at the scene of the crime everywhere he goes. Well, and 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 not only that, but you also have the sheriff of the town be like, hmm, there's this random symbol at both of these crimes. Hmm, I wonder what hmm. that could mean. It kind of looks like a BB. Well, the only BB we have in town is this 12-year-old kid, so obviously he did it. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it was such a such a random pull there to say, oh, no, this is what it's all about. Uh, yeah. And then the other comment I had was, I think Elizabeth Banks, in this movie, Todd's movie wife, I, I don't know what she does, but, but she does paint in this movie. It's, there's several times when she's painting, and I find her portraits very distracting, because she has them hung up around the house, and some of them are very bizarre. It's like there's one of a cat, I remember. There's another one of a big smiley face, like at a watchman, right near the uh, the stairwell at the front of the house. And then there's like one with like, I, I want to say it's like a chicken, but it's like in the upper right hand corner. Um, it's really bizarre. It's like, it's like a, a third grader just 
painted like some little animal like in the top corner of a portrait of like flowers or something it, it's very strange distracting paintings and, and I wish the set designer had maybe been on that like it, it feels like there was a reason those paintings were put there but they really are annoying maybe it was just my boredom with the story that my eyes were drifting to other things in, in frame yeah the, I mean the, this movie it had a, it had a lot of potential if it had done things the right way and it just turned out to be more of like I said it, it felt like amateur hour as we were as I was watching it it was like give an amateur a budget and that's what you get um, the the two gun brothers that wrote the script this is their first or their uh, their second uh, feature film that they've written the other one was journey to the mysterious island with the rock um, so they don't have a huge track record, and they've got some other stuff that has potential coming up, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they can go anywhere at this point. They're, they're going to have to improve quite a bit after this. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's not dwell on this any longer. However, one thing we need, do need to dwell on a little bit here. So Todd said thrice disapproved. Is that it, or are we going to say, what, like, like thrice disgraced or... Thrice declined. What well, what's our what's our our three thumbs down here going to be? I don't know. I just said that because <laughs> we'd never actually come up with one. <laughs> I think this might be the first time that all three of us we've reviewed a movie and all three of us are like, yeah, that sucked. Is this the first time we've ever been thrice disapproved? I think on the podcast. Wow. Yes. Well, of course, of course. <laughs> but on the podcast, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, if if you have a name for us, hit us up on Almost Sideways on Twitter, right? That can be one of the Twitter questions, Terry. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm 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 going with thrice declined. I think that's my favorite right now. But uh, it sounds like you're you're applying for a loan or something. Well, we're approved or declined. I mean, that's what you get. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, let's move on from Brightburn to something that's going to be a lot more fun to talk about. Because today we are doing another favorite feature deep dive into one of our favorite uh, mid-90s action flicks. And of course we are talking about The Rock. Now, all that stands between a city and a disaster. The power of this chemical is way beyond anything you can imagine. That's where you're coming with us. Is a man who's never seen combat. You're a chemical freak. <laughs> I'm a chemical super freak, actually. And another who's been out of action for 30 years. Show us on the blueprints. I can't. My blueprint was in my head. Uh, this film starring Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris, directed by Michael Bay, brought to us by Jerry Bruckheimer. Zach, why don't you tell us uh, what makes The Rock so great and, uh, and where it... Um, kind of what your experience with this movie is. Well, you know, long before LeBron James ever teamed up with, with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, the idea of teaming superstars together was, you know, a little bit unusual. Um, you know, you have one action star who does his own thing, and then you got another action star from a completely different generation, completely different genre, completely different country. And the idea of teaming up Sean Connery, the greatest action star of the 60s and 70s, with Nicolas Cage, who, well, he wasn't really an action star by 1996, but, 
he became one with this movie. He was an acad- you know, coming off his Academy Award winning performance and leaving Las Vegas. Must have been a crazy idea. But their combination in this movie is absolutely fantastic. And that's one of the many things that makes this movie so great. This movie is able to... This is the one movie in the Michael Bay filmography that people do not make fun of. And it's because it is actually a legitimately good movie. And it's where Michael Bay's talents for um, in-your-face constant shots and over-the-top special effects really work. And they're complemented by the wonderful chemistry between Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. And uh, I don't know. Is that what you wanted me to say? I mean, it, it. Sure. Yes. It's it's an awesome movie. One of the best action movies of the 1990s. I've always loved this movie. You know, Ebert gave it three and a half stars, and Ebert really didn't like Michael Bay's stuff either. But uh, this is just a really fun movie that you can really turn on any time of the day, at any time in the movie, and really enjoy it. And you can enjoy it for the craft, the crafts of the of the action scenes, but also again the witty, sharp dialogue and great performances between the two leads. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like you said, it's it's endlessly entertaining, endlessly quotable. Um, it, it's it's the start start of the uh, the modern movie star version of Nicolas Cage doing his thing. Uh, Todd, what are your experiences with The Rock? Uh, I probably didn't see it till I was like in high school, but I immediately loved it. I I put it in my like top twenty of all time at the time, but I mean, it wasn't that prestigious of a list at then. But yeah. I I've loved it ever since I first saw it, and Nicolas Cage be, became one of my favorite actors when I started watching his action movies. And yeah, they, I've I've watched this movie a bunch of times. I I've always loved it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I probably didn't see it till high school either, but uh, yeah, once I saw it, I fell in love with it. And because it's it's hard not to. It's one of the easiest likable movies you can watch. You know, I think my first time seeing it, because this movie was made by uh, Buena Vista, owned by Disney, this movie aired quite a bit on ABC, I want to say, and I think that's where I first saw it, was on network TV, because it seemed to air like on ABC for quite a while, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just an awesome movie, um, and it, it totally works, it's always worked, you know? I think I saw it in high school too, but it's it's wonderful, and ages well like a fine wine. All right. Well, that buried the uh, lead. I guess we'll talk about it if it aged well or not, but uh, I, I think it, it does. <laughs> uh, aged well like a fine wine or like your uh, your $2... Chuck, two, two, buck, two, two buck, buck Chuck. chuck. Two bu- yeah. Have either of you ever heard of Two Buck Chuck, by the way? I was yeah, wondering... I have. If- yeah, I've heard of it. It's it's wonderful. It's it's the greatest invention. It, it's even better than those VX rockets. I mean, it's amazing, you know? And the, and the plasma thermite used to diffuse it. All right, so uh, we are going to uh, start with something different than we've done in our other deep dives. As we've been doing our deep dives, uh, we've noticed that uh, by the time we get to the end and ask each other some trivia questions, we've given away so many of the questions that we were planning on asking because we're such nerds about whatever movie we talk about. So before we give anything away, we are going to start with trivia and uh and use that as our jumping off point to really uh get into talking about this movie so uh for this one zach is running trivia and it's gonna be me against todd which i feel like we did last podcast too but last podcast wasn't a deep dive um so uh zach how are we going to do this tell us what we're doing 
All right, well, it's going to be similar structure. I'm going to start out with one of you. Uh, the other one is going to make sure to put, make sure to put it on mute. Uh, and uh, they're going to go on the other line, and then uh, we'll get the next person in, and uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how we do. I think Todd and I uh, affectionately refer to this uh, system as the Win Ben Stein's Money form of, uh, of asking trivia. If any of you ever watched that show, Ben Stein and Jimmy Kimmel, uh, this is what they did. They 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 asked the questions of both while the other one was, was just like had. Had just like noise canceling headphones on. Okay, so who's first? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Terry first. Okay. So, so Todd, you gotta put your computer on mute, take off your headphones, and uh, we'll give you a thumbs up later. Got it. Okay. All right. Todd's gone. Now we can really talk about him. Yes, man. What do you think of his shirt today? It's just, dude. I don't, I don't yeah, know. I, I, don't I don't know what's know. going on. I don't know what's going on. All right, Terry. I got eleven questions for you about the Rock. And none okay. of which, none of which have been spoiled at this point. So it's 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 going to be all fresh. It's good. I, I remember last time I ran trivia, and half of my questions were spoiled by the time we well, hit trivia. One of and your that qu- became one of my questions. Exactly. That was one of your questions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, like I said, it's uh, one of the downsides is I'm a little too sober to be doing this right now. But hey, if I have to facilitate trivia, it's better that I'm a little more sober. So let, let's just do this. All right. There you go. Here we go. Question number one. The Rock was released on DVD by the Criterion Collection. What is the spine number of the DVD? And I will give a point to whoever is closer. The funny thing is I actually just looked at this a couple hours ago and I saw it, but I didn't bother. I'm going to say like 192. Okay. Well, I can't tell you if you get the point for that or not. It will depend on what Todd says. Yeah. Okay. Where did John Mason meet, first meet his wife? Or the mother of his daughter. Yeah, which yeah, I think yeah, ended yeah, up yeah, being yeah. His wife. yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh! It was at a, it was at a uh, rock concert. Um. Oh, who was it? Do you yeah. need to know the band? Yes. Oh crap! Okay, I'll, I'll, was it? Was it? Was it? Like, it was like, uh, yeah, like an Eagles concert. Okay, I'm going to give you a half point for that. It was at at a rock concert. It was at a Led Zeppelin concert. Half point for for Terry. Okay. I almost said Leonard Skinner. That would have started at least with the right right letter. Uh, anyways, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, this is a two part question. What is the name of the album Stanley Goodspeed buys, and for how much money? I bought it for was it six hundred dollars? Correct. And it was um, wasn't it like Welcome to the Beatles? It was Meet or- the Beatles. <laughs> Close. So one point there. What does Timio Danaus et Dona Ferentis translate to? Um, okay, this is this is when Stanley's interrogating him. Correct. And uh, oh, goodness gracious. I'm not going to come up with it. All right. The answer is, I I fear the Greeks even when they bring gifts. Uh, What is Jade Angelou's address? Oh, gosh. Uh, It's like 35, like, Stenmore Drive. That is 
pretty close. I feel like I want to give you a half point for that because that that's actually pretty close. The correct answer is thirty two Stenson Avenue, but I'm going to give you a half point. I'm going to give you a half point for that. So you got two points at this point. What okay. what is the color and model of the car that Stanley Goodspeed drives? The color and model. It's a uh, it's a Volvo. Gray. Uh, beige. Beige. Oh. I'll give you so half point for that one. Um. All right. What is the name of the hotel where they they stay at? Where John Mason stays? Oh, the the Fairmont. Correct. Uh, how many Purple Hearts has General Hummel, Hummel been awarded? Three. Three is correct. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, what two universities does Stanley Goodspeed have degrees from? MIT and Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins is correct. Uh, the other one is Columbia, so a half point uh, for that. Name all the items that are in the Bosnian refugee package. Whoa, what? At the beginning uh, of the movie. There are three. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint. There are three of them that they find in the package. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having trouble just even remembering what you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, I got nothing. Uh, dirty magazine. Uh, well, uh, okay. Do you remember? It's when it's when they find the the poisonous gas uh, at the beginning of yeah, the movie. Yeah. Uh, the answers okay. are dirty magazines, a gas mask, and a baby doll. And then the oh, la- that 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 package. Okay. And then yeah. the last question, and I need exact details to get full points for this. Where is the JFK assassination footage located? Um. St. Michael's Church, Fort, oh, Fort something, Kansas, first pew, front leg is hollow, um, Fort Walton, Kansas, okay, first pew, front leg, uh, front pew, right leg, the, okay. I'm. I'll give you half half credit for that. There were there were a lot of half points in yours. So, Terry, you you have a total of if I counted this correctly, which I sure hope I did. You have. Five. Dude, hold hold. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on here, hold on here. Yes. I got like like four of the five details right, and you're gonna give me a half a point. Well, I said exact details. I mean, really. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I gave eighty percent of the details. There, all right, to, fi- I, fine, right fine, make, fine. make that give, just like a multi-point question then or something okay, I'll, give you, I'll give you a point for it you, uh, it's questionable it's like the soviets beating uh the, the u.s in 1972 i, I, okay, I look so at that got, and I, I say there's one t- there there's like four four points there you get the the church the city the and then the the what pew and what leg all right well well telling me how and to i run, got three of the four tell me how to run trivia should give you a deduction on points but i will give you a full <laughs> point anyway you have a total of six points let's get todd back on and let's see all if right. he can best you we're good todd okay all right so i have 11 questions for you todd should i tell you how much terry got or do you want to just go in blind uh, going blind it's better going blind all right. Okay. I guess we're going T- blind. He he did get more questions correct than you got correct on the last trivia we ran. 
So well, that's, that's not that's hard to him. do. <laughs> okay. The Rock was released on DVD by the Criterion Collection. What is the spine number of the DVD? And whoever is closer, I will give points to. Uh, I'm going to say 121. Uh, the correct answer is 108, and Todd was closer with his guess, so I'm going to give the point to Todd there. Uh, next question. What did Terry guess? Terry guessed 192. Okay. Uh, next question. Where did John Mason first meet his wife? Uh, a Led Zeppelin concert. That is correct. Uh, for two points here, uh, two-part question. What is the name of the album Stanley Goodspeed buys, and for how much money? Uh, he, uh, I was, I don't know. It was a Beatles record. He bought it for $600. $600 is correct. Can you remember the name of the album? I don't know. I I forget I forget what the actual name of it was. All right. The name of the album was Meet the Beatles, but you do get you do, you do get 1 point for $600. Um I should get like one and a half points for my answer. Anyways, continue. Why? I said the Beatles too. <laughs> I I I said Welcome to the Beatles and it was Meet the Beatles. That's not oh. No, it's not close enough. Okay. What uh next question? For Todd, what does Timio Danaus et Dona Ferentis translate to? Uh, I don't know. I forget. Do you know what scene I'm, we're referring to? Uh, vaguely. I, uh, I remember something, an exchange like that, but yeah, I don't... It, it's the interrogation scene when Stanley Goodspeed is interrogating Mason. And it, the, it translates to, I fear the Greeks when, even when they bring gifts. And then, and then Sean Connery says, oh, an educated man. You must not be a field agent. Um, okay, uh, next... Yes. Uh, next question. What is Jade Angelou's address? <laughs> By the way, this is the name of the of a chapter on the Criterion DVD, so it is a legit question. I don't have dude, the Criterion dude. Dude, that's DVD. a that's a that's a clue that you uh, that you didn't give me. Well, <laughs> I gave you a half point for this one. That's true. You did. You did. I don't know. Any, Someone any from guesses? San Francisco. <laughs> it is in San Francisco. How about I give you a quarter of a point for that? Okay. Oh gosh, are you kidding me? Okay, hey, I, I have like two tenths of a point from my power rankings from last week. All right, uh, <laughs> what was the, correct, what was okay. the correct answer is 32 Stenson Avenue. Stenson. I got half a point. I said 35 Stenmore Drive. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that was not, not too far away. Um, all right, so Todd is at three and one quarter points. Okay. Uh, name the color and model of the car that Stanley Goodspeed drives. It's like a beige Volvo. That is correct. Mm. Uh, I said gray Volvo. No, beige. Very, I said gray. Very, very different. <laughs> uh, what is the name of the hotel where John Mason stays? Where they all stay? Oh, it was uh, the... Uh, I don't know. It sounded exotic. It was like the Radmore or the something like that. Of the uh, West something i don't know 
No, not even close. Uh, the correct answer is the Fairmont. Fairmont, yeah. I knew it was two. I knew it was like the two syllable sounding. Yeah. I knew fancy. it was two syllables. Two really? syllables sounds fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that F sound at the beginning, very fancy. Um, how many Purple Hearts has General Hummel been awarded? I don't know, 11? <laughs> no, three. Wow, Eleven. Injured 11 times in battle. <laughs> I mean, he was in all those battles in Granada and Panama. And... Okay, uh, name the two universities where Stanley Goodspeed has degrees from. Johns Hopkins and uh, Harvard. No, uh, Johns Hopkins is correct, so you get a half point there. Uh, and the other one is Columbia. So now you're at uh. four and three quarters. As we get to our last two questions here, name all the items that are in the Bosnian refugee package. And there, and there are three of them. Uh. Yeah, I got nothing. I, I don't even remember that. Yeah, this one, this one stumped Terry too. I, yeah, I had it, no idea what he was even referring to. Once I found out what he was talking about, I knew exactly what it, they were. I mean, it, it it was one of the many kind of pointless action scenes of this movie that had nothing to do with anything. But um, yes, it's at the beginning of the movie when they look through the package, and uh, it's when it's when Dick uh, slash Todd uh, Luiso uh, makes his first appearance. And uh, the, the three items they find in the Bosnian refugee package are dirty magazines, a gas mask, and a baby doll. And if you remember yeah. correctly, the baby doll uh, has that poisonous gas. Right. And a bomb. And a bomb. Okay, the last question. Exact details needed. Where is the JFK assassination footage located? Uh, Fort Walton, Kansas. Uh... St. Michael's Church, front pew, right leg, hollow. Wow, that that is exactly correct. Um, and uh, I'm I'm in a bind because I gave Terry full points, but I wanted him to be exact. I I, okay, I, you... I, I was pressured by him to give give full points, and and Todd got the full answer correct. So so how did you how did you get full points if you didn't get the full answer? Because he pressured me. I don't know. <laughs> I got, all right, so what, what did I say? I said St. Michael's Church, I said Fort Walton, Kansas, and I said what, front, or uh, first pew, front leg, Yes, but, I think is what I said. But the, but the correct answer is front pew, right leg, which Todd said. And he was going to give me half, and I said, I got like 80% of the, the details right, and you're going give, to give me only 50% of the points. I would have been happy with just 80% of the points, and he gave me he gave me the whole thing, so... Okay, we need a tiebreaker question because you are both tied at six points. What? I, I had like eight tenths of a point. Well, I, I gave you an extra point extra two. quarter of a point because you got all the all the question all the answers correct. Here's the tiebreaker question. Okay, because you were both at six points, I arbitrarily decided. Name on Zach Salt's best of 1996 list where the rock is. Thirteen. I'm going to say 18. 
The correct answer is 16. Todd wins it. Oh, God. Thank you. Me? <laughs> <laughs> wow. My word. And this is why I shouldn't leave trivia. <laughs> Oh, that was close. But at that least was there really, was really close. at least there was entertainment value. Yeah. Okay. I think well, Todd was... deserves to win. He he got all the he details did. right on the on the JFK footage. That was he did, but he, he couldn't remember part. the Fairmont though. I mean, I thought that was your easiest question. Yeah, that was an easy question. They 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 bring that up several times in the movie. But neither of you could even remember the scene at the beginning of the movie when the poisonous gas goes Dude, off. Dude, I, well, I remember I, the I scene. I just know that that was what it's called. Yeah, I don't remember them talking about it being a Bosnian refugee package. It's on the package. It says for the Bosnian refugees. They talk about that. But you know, this—I mean, it's, this movie is not acclaimed for its dialogue, exactly. Shall we say so? <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, I guess Todd Todd wins. Whatever. <laughs> let, let, let's let's get let's get into talking about this now because because yeah those were some fun details to look at but uh okay now that we've gone over trivia and uh dug into the nitty-gritty details of this um todd since you won give us a basic outline of what the rock is about uh okay so ed harris plays this guy named general hummel who uh decides he's going to hold hostage a bunch of people on Alcatraz Island in order to coerce the government into paying out and uh, he's paying out like uh, a fee to the people that have died under his rule that the, they just sort of like brush over the details of their of their death when they die in battle and so what they do is they find a chemical weapon specialist because they're gonna you know, shoot some rockets at, at at San Francisco. They find a chemical weapon specialist played by Nicolas Cage and a guy who used to be a prisoner at Alcatraz and who escaped, who's play is John Patrick Mason, played by Sean Connery, and they go with a team of Navy SEALs to try to stop the general and his crew of Marines from uh, their terrorist act. That about right? That's about right. That that, that that's that's, that's, that's about as good as you can get right there. Okay, so, uh, what are we going to talk about first? We always seem to go uh, greatest war performance first, right? Let's do it. All right, so, so the best, the best film war uh, goes to who, Zach? Oh, Nicolas Cage. You go talk to him. Me? Yeah. Hiya. I'm an agent with the uh, FBI. I'm Stanley Goodspeed. But of course you are. At least he got his name right. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, it's the, this is the most obvious war maybe of all time, with the possible exception of Philip Seymour Hoffman in Almost Famous. Like, who else could play this role? Name name any other actor in the 90s who could possibly do it. It's impossible. Because Stanley Goodspeed is a nerd. He is a chemical, not just a chemical freak, a chemical super freak. And uh, who is a, a Beatles uh, nut. And um, he uh, builds Rube Goldberg machines at his lab in Washington, D.C. And uh, he doesn't know how to swim. And uh, he's very insulated. And he doesn't know how to use a gun. And he forgets to close the door when he interrogates a suspect. 
but he's also he turns it he transforms into a superhero during the course of this movie i mean he is kicking ass at the end of this movie he's throwing guys out windows you know and firing weapons and and shoving a chemical uh bead into the guy's mouth and it explodes in his mouth and then he shoves the 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 thing into his heart the syringe into his heart i mean he is a superhero by the end of this movie that is a total transformation submit another actor in the 90s who could portray nerdy geek and superhero action hero no one yeah i I don't know how how well you could actually take him for nerdy nerdy geek um but but it seems to work but i I, yeah i mean it it's hard to it's hard to argue with nicholas cage i mean just the one time when he walks in the room he's uh, i'm stanley goodspeed it's like well exactly well that's obvious that's just who i am and it's like well yeah pretty much that's that's who you are at least he got his name right (laughs) at least he's got his name right um yeah let's see here let's see if i can find someone that we can that can just i can pick so we don't just for the sake of argument yeah just i i obviously my, my answer is sean connery i don't quite see how you cherish the memory of the dead by killing another million and uh this is not combat. It's an act of lunacy, General Shah. Personally, I think you're an idiot. Because I, I feel like, well, there's the Bond angle. He's like central intelligence and a spy, and he and he's like really good at sneaking around. And I think he's really as good as there is in the world at one-liners. And he looks awesome doing these action scenes, even though he's in his mid-sixties. I, I don't know anyone else that could have fit into that role. Well, originally Arnold Schwarzenegger was was up for consideration of the role, and I, I think he could have nailed it. British and, intelligence. Okay, well, they, I mean, it wouldn't have been British intelligence; it would have been Austrian intelligence. But uh, you know, the, the, basically, um, and also, if this movie had been made twenty years later, this is a role that was made for Liam Neeson. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I, I, I do th- I, actually. It does occur to me while while watching the uh, live live feed that we're having on the computer. There is one other actor who maybe is in the background where where Todd is right now that that could have maybe possibly pay- played Stanley Goodspeed in 1996, and that actor is a young Edward Norton. That that's possible. He might have been a little too young in 1996 to be to believable as as a bio you know chemical expert. But he also could have counter like he did in Fight Club. He he could have um, you know shown the the geeky side along with the action hero side. I don't think he was athletic enough at the time either, Ed Norton. Because I mean Stan. Stanley Goodspeed is, I mean, he's kind of built, like, that. I mean, that's probably why they had, like, him playing his guitar naked, just to show off that Nick Cage is actually buff, and he could do some action scenes, so he's not just a nerd. Well, I, th- I think that's that's one of the things that, that Nicolas Cage is going against him, actually. I think someone like Edward Norton, you're right, he would have that, that nerdy, nerdy vibe to him a lot more, and then have to be the nerd that becomes a hero don't you think like john cusack could have done it or something i feel like that's a similar role that he plays in con air oh yeah Yeah, maybe okay so i'm gonna go with uh i'm debating between two but i'll well let's just go with the leads i'm gonna say ed harris mr director you have a very serious problem a battery of vx gas rockets is presently deployed to deliver a highly lethal strike on the population of the san francisco bay area I will call again at 100 hours to state my demands. I want to know who I'm talking to. 
This is Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel, United States Marine Corps from Alcatraz. Out. I, I love Ed Harris in this movie. I think he's he is perfectly cast in this role where he has to be uh, this hard-as-nails general that is doing this unimaginably horrific thing, yet also he's doing it because... Um, because he cares and has this heart and it refuses to actually go through with what he's threatening to do because because he has that moral compass. I mean, he he does this because he feels like this is the moral thing to do, yet when it comes down to it, he can't do the immoral thing to justify the morality of his decisions. And I don't know if you could find someone that could play the... the uh, the emotional yet the hard hardness of general hummel quite as well as ed harris uh i think anyone william hurt maybe there there um, there are others the, that could but i i love ed harris in that role i i love ed harris in that role yeah well he's good he doesn't look like a soldier though but, i mean he he acts as tough as any soldier other than michael Bean yeah. in the movie but i don't know I, I don't yeah, think it's he, that hard of a world to replace, I mean, but he's he's really You guys good. took the two best ones, so I'm I'm coming up I'm coming up in third place here, and I'm uh, he he's got the third highest war <laughs> between them all. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> well, we could Perfect. we could go obscure war because I mean that's sort of a philosophical different difference of opinion we've sometimes had, which is you know the the, the character with one line who you could not replace with any other actor. Is there anyone like that in this movie? Ooh. Although maybe that's getting into just okay. Maybe let, let's just let's just shift that into our next category, which is favorite random obscure character, maybe, or obscure performance. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So. Uh, well, one of the ones that I thought was really <laughs> yes. funny was uh, Major Bob, who's the tour guide at the at the Alcatraz. He looks like some like safari tour guide or like a Disneyland character <laughs> or something like that. It's really weird. I I, I, I thought he was a really effective. I, I actually um, I actually read somewhere research no idea who for the this actor that is. Uh, that apparently the scene with him took a long time to shoot because Ed Harris couldn't stop laughing at him. Because he found him hilarious, and he kept on he kept on cracking in the middle of the scene. Yeah, his name in the credits is Park Ranger Bob, and I agree that uh, he does have a certain dynamic charm to him because you know he says, "All right, everybody in the cells, just for just temporarily, you know," and uh, uh, ultimately that that uh, that ends up being a lie. <laughs> I would say the one that I uh, that I really liked uh, that's just kind of a minor character is uh, Private Cox, played by Brandon Kelly. He's the one that uh, is fighting Stanley Goodspeed and uh, the one that ends up catching the bald guy, where the then the other guy comes up and I'll take pleasure in gutting you, boy. And then and then uh, he he's the other guy in that scene. And then later on, he's the guy who ends up fighting. Um, who ends up fighting Sean Connery at the end, um, it's like, oh, 
come on at me, Brit. My parents are Irish. And he's like boxing him and stuff. I, I thought that guy, of all the soldiers, the random soldiers that Hummel had with him, I'm like, okay, he's the one guy that's got some charm to him. So I, I'm going to say him, and with a close second being um, being the character per, uh, portrayed by Ingo Newhouse, because he is simply, uh, in the credits, he is listed as the Marine that dies. Oh, yeah. That's a great <laughs> like that's performance. It, that's his name. His name is Marine that dies. <laughs> so, I mean, how, 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 uh, how awesome would it awesome. be to have a character name that is a spoiler? So, uh, there you go. Um, I think my favorite random character in the movie who only has a couple of lines is the cable car conductor. Um, <laughs> in the credits, uh, he's listed, the actor is Leonard McMahon. And uh, he screams, save yourselves! And uh, he seems really upset that the, the cable car has been destroyed. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like it, it just messes up his day. I, I think he's sort of unconcerned with the larger situation that he might die, that, you know, uh, chemical weapons are about to get launched at his city. But the, the more immediate concern is that the cable car has been destructed and uh, he's out of a job. It was. He's very attached to that cable car. I also really like the like kid with the dirt bike. Dude, you just wrecked your Ferrari. It's not mine. <laughs> it's not mine. It, it was, as, as he's hopping on the motorcycle. That was like a total yeah. Ghost Rider Nick Cage voice right there. A couple other obscure characters, not obscure, just minor characters I like are, of course, Marvin Isherwood, who's played by Todd Luiso. Because, like... He's, like, totally a chicken under pressure, like, when they're trying to defuse that bomb. And then when he gets called later, he's, like, sitting at his computer, like, doing some work for Nick Cage as he's muttering to himself about how he's going to quit his job. Like, he's just as miserable at his job as everybody else, and I, I, I really like that about that character. And, he, and Todd Luis was perfect at portraying that. I also really like uh, <laughs> Captain Darrow, who's played by Tony Todd. Because he's, he's, like, the, the big... Uh, the big marine and he he's like the one who's like just a total badass no matter what and he, he like doesn't have a problem talking back to like his co-conspirators even his superiors and uh he doesn't listen to you know soft ass shit but but he is the rocket man with, with, with you, you know? mentioning todd Luis, I, really so like I, I also have to mention uh the character of loner per, uh portrayed by xander berkeley because uh that scene I, i'm watching that and in the first five minutes of that movie we have that scene with xander berkeley and todd Luis. so i'm like dude this is just like at Ed Harrison, and we have got Apollo 13 yep. right here. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the Apollo 13 reunion on uh, <laughs> on the set of The Rock. So I, th I thought that was really funny. So I'm like, no way! It's Henry Hayes! Another character that I really liked, I can't find his name in the credits because I don't know what his name is in the movie, but um, it's one of the bald uh, agents that works for uh, Womack. And... Um, his job apparently is just to like be security for people because the only two times he's seen in the movie is the it's the first time when uh, uh, John Mason is in the shower and he's watching him 
but he does such a bad job of watching him that he doesn't notice that John Mason takes out the string, which he eventually, you know, is able to throw off Womack from the ledge. So he's bad at his job. And then later in the movie, the only other t- time he's seen, which is about an hour later in the movie, is now he's security for uh, Carla, Stanley Goodspeed's girlfriend. And he's driving the, the Jeep. So, like, his only job is that he's just, um, like, security for people that need to, like, stay away from, like, the, the heart of the action. And he's really bad at his job because not only does, you know, John Mason get the string and eventually run away, but Carla also runs away from the Jeep. He's, like, really bad at his job. So that's why he gets put at the thankless tasks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. My conspiracy theory is that 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 had to be like Womack's son-in-law or something. <laughs> Maybe it's like very well, this useless. guy. This guy's completely inept, but you know he's related, so I've got to give him give him something to just go take care of the girlfriend and make yep. sure she doesn't die. Yep. dude, you messed that up. <laughs> Gosh, come on. <laughs> yes, we, I'm just did now you, seeing so that. Did you, you didn't Tuco Salamanca him? was in the movie. He's at, Sergeant um, Rojas. Very early in the movie, he's. Uh, he's I didn't. More I didn't notice him. in the first twenty minutes, but he he's one of the people at the computer screen, and uh, he has a uh, like a man bun, but a very short man bun. So it looks like he just put like a hair tie in his hair, and it's sticking up a little bit. But yeah, he's definitely in the movie. It's very distracting. Yeah, seeing young Tuco Salamanca. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so, uh, let's see here. Do we want to go, um, go, uh, uh, lowest war? Like, worst performance? Let's go worst performance. Yeah, worst performance. I think that's a good category to do. Okay, I, I have, I have an easy one here. I mean, this is, as I'm watching it, there was only one name that, or one character that popped up, um, for, uh, for worst performance, and that is Paul the Hotel Barber. Played by Anthony Clark, I, I ever since the first time I saw this movie, I was like, this character is the most annoying character ever, and he has the worst line in the movie, when when Mason escapes and is in the in the elevator with him, and all he has to say is, just, don't don't kill me, just I just want to know if you like your haircut, I'm like oh that is, that is the worst line in the entire movie, it, it's it's terrible. He's the worst. The worst. I mean, he's a byproduct of 1970s and 80s action movies with the clearly homosexual character who's flamboyant. And it's a stereotype. And, you know, on, on the one hand, I look at that character and think, like, that is, that's really flagrantly homophobic and disrespectful. On the other hand, I kind of like his character because... I mean, he does give John Mason a really good haircut, and what's also really, also particularly special about that haircut is he gives him a haircut with his suit on, and he doesn't get any of the hair on the suit. So, while the character may be a stereotype, uh, he's a very impressive hairstylist, especially given the limitations of not being able to use scissors. That is the key. He did it all without scissors. Yeah, He he was asked to... uh, they asked Picasso to paint without a brush. <laughs> exactly. Again, another horrible line. I think I think it's just the worst part. Maybe that's what I'm going with. I mean, the performance is the performance, but it's the worst part in the movie. I mean, this movie does take place in San Francisco, and you're not going to have any LGBT people San in the movie. San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Meet some. All right, what do you guys there. say? Worst performance. 
Here we go. We got to bring up Carla. Uh, it's Carla. Uh, she is horrible. Emotionally, she just comes off super flat, annoying, and naggy, yes. and yes. I don't know. She should have flipped roles with Claire Forlani. I think they would have fit better into each other's roles. But, I don't know. Michael Bay, like, movies don't really need great performances, but this is the one that I was just like, yeah, this is just bad and not believable. She was and I don't know why queen. Stanley would go for her. <laughs> really? I don't really have a, have a problem with the performance. I think the character is more annoying than the performance. I, th- I think the actress is fine. But uh, you are left kind of wondering why Stanley Goodspeed couldn't have been hooked up with Jade Angelou by the end of the movie. Because, I mean, Claire Forlani, you know, I mean, this was... You know, she's ravishing in this movie, as she was in many of her 90s movies. Exactly. And then and then Meet Joe Black, and then the career quickly faded. Yeah, she was kind of like the Gretchen Mole of the 90s, but she never really had a resurrection. All um, right, what do you say, Zach? Oh, favorite... Okay, sorry. Uh, worst performance. Worst performance. Worst performance in the movie so. is the old lady that crosses the street um, in the car chase sequence because it is very clearly not an old lady. It's a clearly an actor that they tried to put a uh, some makeup on and a gray wig and an old lady-like dress. But if you watch her crossing the street, it's like obvious that this is this is a, an, a, an extra that does not know how to act like an old lady, so it just doesn't look convincing at all. Um, it's a terrible performance performance in her two seconds of glory <laughs> uh, uh, yeah that's good that's good all right that's where are we going one. next yes good one Ooh. uh how about biggest stick man all right my 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 biggest stick man would have to be captain fry Played by Gregory Spor- Gregory Sporletter. Uh, he's the other guy to Captain Darrow. Uh, he just strikes me as one of those guys that is just like a monster when it comes to stickmen, and and is just yeah. He, he's he exudes that that arrogant idiot confidence that is a stickman. So yeah, I'm going him, Captain Fry. I honestly don't even know who you're talking about. There are so he, many he's, characters. He's in this the movie other that... guy. So, so there's the there's the two hired mercenary hands, and he's the white one. Yeah. Oh. He's the guy. Yeah, him. Gets that's his Captain mouth Fry. Okay. He might. He may. Fry. He may show up in another uh, category that we have later in this segment because, or in this episode, because he he does some interesting things uh, in this. Well, for biggest stick man, it can't be any of the three main characters because obviously Stanley Goodspeed's a geek. John Mason has been in prison for thirty years, although he does talk about uh, being uh, raped in in prison, but we're not going to count that. And uh, General Hummel was married for all that time until his wife recently died. I have a theory about General Hummel's wife that I want to talk about later in, in this episode, but we'll we'll stick to this category. So my biggest stick man has to be uh, Commander Anderson, played by the inimitable Michael Bean. And the last time we saw Michael Bean in a movie with Nicolas Cage was the great 90s epic Deadfall, one of the great uh, movies of 1993. 
their roles are kind of reversed in this movie. In that movie, Michael Bean was the was the main hero, and Nicolas Cage was the side character. In this movie, Colonel Anderson is the side character, but uh, or Commander Anderson. But you know, you you, you got to think. You know, he's head of a Navy SEALs unit or whatever he does, and uh, you know, he does his job well. He he seems to know weapons pretty well, and um, you know, he's he's probably getting it in. I I would think on a fairly regular basis. Cannot give that order. He cannot give that order. Definitely can't. Okay, well, mine. I, I guess I'm going a little off the board. I'm gonna say Paul the Hotel Swing Bartender. San Francisco. Because, I mean, I bet it's in San Francisco. I bet he's big into the club scene, and uh, I mean, I bet he meets a ton of other, you know, queers in the hotel biz, hotel barber business, and you know, it's it, maybe even celebrities in that kind of hotel, and. Uh, I don't know, I bet he's getting as much action as pretty much anybody, especially because everybody else is working the entire time, and his job is, like, a, being an on-call barber at a really so nice you're hotel. So you're saying I bet he has a lot because of he's got the most time on his hands. And because he's gay. <laughs> I mean, let's get real. You're sort of stereotyping him, but he is a stereotype, so, you know, yeah, why he's, not? He's about as stereotyped <laughs> yeah, as you too. possibly get. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, in his day, I'm sure Mason was a total, a total stud, especially when he went to the U.S. Uh, when he got well, how, you know, how uh, many people do you think he like hooked up with at that Led Zeppelin concert? All the time. <laughs> I mean, his, his his pickup line probably was, "Hey, you want to know who killed JFK?" I mean, he has all you know. Want to know about the alien landing in Roswell? That that's a killer pickup line. Shaken, not stirred. <laughs> Uh, okay okay i i have a category i want to do here um best death oh i mean this is an action movie where so many people yeah so many people are are getting taken out i think i saw like the the final tally was like somewhere in like the 25 to 30 range of, of of dying so who had the best death Like, best whatever you want to take it as best like death scene or like what it both like how they Either. die or the way or they act when they're dying. Neither, whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna. Well, Captain Darrow's death is pretty awesome. I mean, he he gets taken out by a rocket and then impaled by a fence. I mean that. That's pretty brutal, and, He's a and rocket a, man. pretty much a badass a way to man. go for that character. I think I'm going to go with Igno Niehaus as the Marine that dies. I don't know how he dies, but I'm sure it's a pretty spectacular way. He he's the one he's the one that gets trapped in the in the um in the room with the gas at the very beginning when they steal it. Oh. Oh, yeah, he's I, the marine that dies. Okay, that actually that is the best oh, way that, that someone guy. dies. That's a pretty good death scene. That is an important death too, because then when Stanley uh, describes how you die of later from that gas, like you, you actually had a visual of like at least the first part of it when your skin burns off. Okay, but it, it is that a very is a good vivid one. image. That is a good one. The one I'm gonna go with is uh, a Lieutenant good, Shepard, good minor character, played by Danny Nucci, 
who's more known as being uh, Fabrizio from Titanic. He's a guy who's like uh, Mason's like bodyguard through the whole thing and Wait made sure nothing Fabrizio happens to him. Fabrizio from Titanic is in this movie? Dude, yeah. Really? He's Yeah, he's the one that explains that like in the war room explains exactly what's going on and here's everything that's go- that needs to happen. Or that, that Hummel's doing. Oh, is he the and one then, that's like, 81 hostages with 15 warheads? That, yeah, that guy? Yeah, okay, yeah. I can yeah, see that guy. And so, so, and then he's the guy whose, his, his task is to make sure that, uh, that he is by Mason's side at all times. And so when they go into the shower room and they all get taken out, he's the one that's still down underneath with Goodspeed and Mason. And he's like, I gotta go up there, man. I gotta go up there. And it's like, no, no, it's death, it's death. I gotta go up there. I gotta. And he pops his head out. And the second he pops his head out, he gets blown away and then just is left hanging upside down from that spot. It's like, dude, we told you not to go up there. Uh, that, that, I mean, that, that was a, a, a valiant, an effort in valiant stupidity. That's what I'm going to say it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's a good one. That kind of leads me into uh, my conspiracy theory because, honestly, I think is it possible that Mason led Ooh, them into the washroom because he knew that it would be a horrible spot strategically because he knew what he knew exactly where he was going and every other time he's leading the uh, leading the seals and in that time him and Goodspeed are the only ones other than. Um, that guy you were just talking about that don't go up like everyone else had already gone up and they were still just standing there the whole time and so it was like he knew that they were about to get taken out and yeah i mean it's like this is where I that's a very like, interesting theory because throughout this whole movie uh john mason is proven constantly correct i mean he he knows that uh you know general hummel is doesn't have the balls to actually fire the missile at san francisco and he has this great intuition so and obviously he knows the layout to to Alcatraz better than anyone, so I, I like that theory. And by that point, you don't re- really know how invested he is in this mission anyway, because he seems to want to abandon ship, you know, numerous times, even right after that. Yeah, and that was the perfect time to to just to escape. He could take out all the seals because he knew that they were about to walk into an ambush almost. If- Okay, here, or that'd be a perfect my, spot to get ambushed theory. from where they were at. Yeah. Um, e- uh, either Mason or Womack killed JFK. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did escape either- Alcatraz in 1963. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and or and or it's Womack, and that's why Womack wants to make sure he stays locked up with the key thrown away. And that's why there's this this hated rivalry between them is because Mason is the one person on Earth that actually knows that Womack is the one that did it. No, but he, when Womack's talking to uh, 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 Agent Paxton, he's he's like he, he even says you know he sure knows he the truth about the JFK assassination. Like he wouldn't it's, say it's that the greatest secret in, in he, national he history. He admit that that's on the on the thing. By the way, by the way, I find it really funny that uh, that uh, the next time uh, Nicholas Cage and Ed Harris are in a movie together, it is also playing playing recluse with uh, conspiracy theories on on U.S. history because they were. Um, good guy and bad guy in uh, National Treasure 2 
And so, I mean, it, it's it's kind of funny that whenever they team up, we're going to be talking about um, conspiracy theories on what happened in uh, U.S. history. Exactly. Uh, okay, my, my conspiracy theory, it's, not, it's I don't know if it's really conspiracy theory. Right. It's more just sort of a, a rant a little bit. So, y- y- you know, when Michael Jordan won MVP or not MVP, excuse me, when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he gave this speech that, you know, everyone remembers as very kind of like, um, I don't know, uh, petty. And he he went off about people that, you know, the guy that beat him on the high school team for a starting position, and he went after, like, his high school coach, and he went after all these people. And it's like, wow, Michael Jordan, you're going to give, you know, this legendary Hall of Fame speech, and you're going to use it to settle old scores, you know? And uh, everyone was a little, little taken aback by it. Well, later, it was revealed that Michael Jordan had just recently got divorced from his wife, Juanita. And um, Bill Simmons had a great theory that, and trust me, this will connect to The Rock in just a second. Um, Bill Simmons had a great theory that uh, had Michael Jordan stayed married to Juanita, she would have been like, you know, let me take a look at your speech, honey. Oh, wait, you're really going to say this? Like, you really want to go off and just, you know, settle old scores and be this petty? And honey, let's not do this, okay? Let's let's actually take a second and, you know, you, you are the Hall of Famer. You have done all these great things. Let's not use this opportunity to just, you know, be very uh, petty and trite. All right, here's where it pl- applies to The Rock. Had General Hummel's wife lived because she died in 1995, she would have said, honey, this idea is half-baked and stupid, and let's just not settle old scores, and let's just be happy in our retirement vista in Florida, and um, let's not do this plan. And really, the whole reason this movie happens is because Barbara Hummel dies in 1995. Well, yeah, that, that is the whole reason it happens, but it's not because of that. It's because when she dies, yeah. he realizes he's got nothing left to live for except for the memory of his fallen comrades so he decides let's let's see what i can do to honor them since i've got nothing else nothing else in this life left to honor i'm just saying none of this would have happened had she not died she would have been able to talk him out of it because he would have never thought of it if she hadn't died exactly yeah okay it was it was i have nothing left to live for let's let's do a suicide mission to try and honor those that are being dishonored see this is why women live longer than men because (laughs) without them there then you know they just the men spiral out and do this crazy shit that is destructive and uh pointless and uh it's it's really all barbara hummel's fault for dying too early that's what i'm saying just like michael jordan's wife you know getting the divorce too early uh someone needs to tell him honey let's just take a step back and uh let's let's reevaluate shall we That's possible. <laughs> maybe maybe Womack killed his wife. I knew it was you. <laughs> I have another conspiracy theory, but it's not that exciting, but I'll I'll mention it here anyway. One one of the flaw one of the things I was prepared to say that was a flaw about this movie, and maybe we'll talk about flaws in a second, is Yeah, let, let's I, let's just kind of 
segue into that. We'll, sure. we'll segue into flaws. But so here's a uh, something that was initially a flaw, and now it's sort of a conspiracy theory with me. I always thought it was a little ridiculous that the government just didn't pay a hundred million dollars to Hummel because that isn't that much money, and for the spectacle that happens with it and the giant shit show and uh, for all that it's worth, a hundred million dollars. I mean, it's almost like that scene in Austin Powers. It's like one million dollars a hundred million dollars it's not that much freaking money so just pay him okay um so from I, a fund that nobody else knows exists well see here's the thing so upon re-watching it my sort of conspiracy theory is that the the pentagon is and the fbi are less concerned about paying him a hundred million dollars than they are that there will be public knowledge about the red sea trading fund because that is the slush fund that all the illegal arms sales went into because general hummel says in his video message that he will reveal the red sea trading fund and that is more of the ammunition for the for the cia and the fbi to be like you know screw this uh this guy can't do this they don't care about the 100 million dollars it is the red sea trading fund and yes so so are you saying that that they uh as soon as he mentioned that they were like okay we're not going to give him what he wants instead we're going to do everything we can to kill him yes exactly because i think they would have been prepared to give him the 100 million dollars which is nothing it's it's change you know it's nothing but he said he was maybe going to reveal the red sea trading fund and that is what upsets everyone and makes you know people like uh you know, Philip, Philip Baker Hall, very nervous. Another, another great, uh, worst performance is the white house chief of staff guy. I mean, he's, he's an idiot. Well, that's a category we got to get to LVP, but, but right now let's focus on what's the category we're focusing on. Flaws. Flaws. Yes, there we go. Okay. Okay. My flaw. My flaw is in the final scenes Flaws. when um, when he's disarming the last rocket. There is the one, the one marble that gets away, and he goes and he grabs it, and he yes. saves it, and save and and everything. Okay. Why didn't he just go put that in the little container that he left the other ones in? Why did he keep it with him? One and two. When he's like, okay, I need to fight this guy now, and I need to go head to head, and you know, and and have this have this match with them. So I'm gonna put this thing that will kill us all in my chest pocket, you know, because no one ever hits anybody in their chest. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> he didn't have a weapon. All it took, all it took, is like one punch to the to the gut, and all of no a sudden it would be popped and it would be over. And other than that, he had his yeah, ejection but I, thing. He knew that what he I'm had, saying he is, have, if you watch that fight that scene, eventually. it's like okay, right there it would have burst. Right there it would have burst. It's made of glass, I think. I mean, well, it's not gonna just in, burst in the and initial scene when guy that dies dies. Marine that dies. Sorry. <laughs> Get his, get his demo, name right, Terry. Him. Honor his memory. Yeah. Honor his memory. He's a Marine that dies. It, it like it, it like just whirls across the floor and and runs into something and bursts. And it does. It's not glass. It like meshed. It was like a. It, it it's. I don't. I don't even know what it what it is. Yeah, I don't know what the material could yeah. be that holds all that in there. But that, no, that I, I think just, yeah, like, I saw that. I was like, wait a second. Why are you holding on to this? And 
why are you putting it there when you're going to fight a guy? It was, <laughs> that was, that was my, that's just stupid. Okay. You know what's also stupid is the plot that they actually lay out. Like, it's, like, it is almost like the same plot as Metal Gear, where it's like, we're gonna come up from the ground, they, like, go through the, they go through the ground, and they're making their way up to, like, sneak up behind the Marines. It's like, they'll never see us. It sounded really dumb when they were explaining it, and I was like, this is the best they could come up with. And then it did sound like Metal Gear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, okay, so should we get into LVP then? No, no, there's a few more flaws. Oh, D, Todd's got more flaws. I do too. Okay. But good talk. Oh, no, I, I have more flaws. Okay, uh, I think that there's no way that uh, Womack, when he gets uh, hung off the side of the hotel, that he would have done something that a simple sling would have taken care of. Like, his arm would have like completely come out of its socket if he had fallen like that, just being held by his wrist. So I thought that was kind of uh, cheap that he just had, like, it looked like he a, a t-shirt sling or something in the very next scene. I thought that was pretty bad. His sling is pretty funny, though. Also, I mean, it, it definitely has some comic value throughout the movie. How's your bowling <laughs> arm? Uh, and also, I don't understand Mason's timeline, because did they, like, capture him twice? Because they say that he was the guy that stole the microfilm, but then they caught him going to the Canadian border, and then they put him away for 30 years. So, like, when did he go uh, stash the thing in Kansas? And was he, like, leaving for Canada without the microfilm? Because what would be the point of stealing it if you're going to leave it there and then flee the country? And I, but, because if he escaped from Alcatraz, I doubt that they would have caught him again. Well, and didn't they, didn't like, they did, say? When did he go, did he go to Alcatraz before he stole the microfilm or after? Because there, there's got to be two escapes that he has. And they, like, it really is sort of, like, convoluted how that, how they put that I together. Think he, I think he, he stole the microfilm after Alcatraz. So why was he in Alcatraz? I don't know. What? Because stole the microfilm after Alcatraz. That doesn't make it any sense. Okay. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, 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 but think about it. Think about it. When he, he was put in Alcatraz. Alcatraz wasn't where they put him away and, for 30 And he years. was put in Alcatraz in 62 and escaped in 63. Then how can he have the microfilm saying how JFK was killed? Oh, that's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. There's that too. But and but I uh, why would he be fleeing the country if the microfilm like he left in Kansas, and that because that, that's they caught him at the Canadian border then they put him away for and, thirty years and I didn't it say that his daughter, uh, wasn't born until years after he escaped Alcatraz. Yeah, she looks a lot yeah. younger than thirty. This is 30. what I'm saying. I don't understand. Which mean which means really he escaped Alcatraz. He was loose for a few years, stole the microfilm. Um, went to a Led Zeppelin concert and then was caught crossing the Canadian border. <laughs> but we don't know why he was in Alcatraz to begin with. Like, he couldn't be, like, a, an international fugitive and, like, just be, like, going around why the country. Why was he even going to Canada? You know? To escape the country I don't with know. the microfilm. But the microfilm was in Kansas. Well, that's where he put it, though. I would assume after he, well, because they knew he, they knew after he, he was caught. Maybe he, he made a copy, though. <laughs> they knew. Well, then they would have been on him, and they would have thought they that they'd solved it, and then wouldn't have been a problem. This is a huge flaw in the movie. There, the, this is the no biggest. This is the biggest this problem with action films is they don't take care of details like this. There's like. Also, I want to know. Okay, go. I was just gonna say they're just like okay. What what can we 
What what plot can we put together to blow stuff up? Okay, this will work. And then they don't think of the ramifications. Okay, well, also with Mason, I don't know how he gets off Alcatraz, because as he says earlier, the last time he swam this channel, he was good speeds aged, so he's f***ed either way. So how, once they were done with everything, how was he going to get off? Because he wasn't going to get catch a ride with the FBI. He swam I, it anyways. He was going to be stuck. He sw <laughs> That's what? <laughs> he could have done that hours earlier. <laughs> or didn't they have, like, those little, like, underwater boats that they left in the, in the... He could have used that hours he earlier. He could have. So he was going to be stuck on Alcatraz anyway. Okay, here, here's here's another flaw I have. Okay, so <laughs> so there were there there's there's two things here that are interesting. So when they first get to Alcatraz, and he has to like go through the boiler thing to get to get through, yeah. and it's like and that, that was pretty cool, by the way. Um, one. Why the heck is the boiler still on if no one has lived on Alcatraz for years? If it's just, like, people come to tour it for an hour, why is that stuff still ru running? That's one... Well, yeah. That's one thing. And the second thing, after he gets through it, what does he do? He goes around the corner and opens the door. Why didn't he just walk out the door in the first place when he escaped? I know, because yeah. he's right next to the thing. It's not like they would have a guard there and, like, rolling through that thing. Here. Yeah. That's like, a great point. Not been seen right away. Just open the door. Just open the door. <laughs> so unnecessary. My flaw was a lot less ambitious than yours. I just... My flaw was that... How does John Mason know that Man Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa, but he doesn't know that Alcatraz <laughs> is a tourist attraction? <laughs> I know. I mean, he... Like, and how does he know that a Hummer is nicknamed a Humvee? And he also has never heard of grunge music. <laughs> it's a grunge he, know thing. he knows who Mandela is, but not Cobain. He knows what a Humvee is. But not Alcatraz. Yeah. I also think that it's weird that Stanley and his wife, or, or Carla, not his wife, were, like, fleeing the, the church. Like, they were being chased by Marines when it was just one old guy. And there's not another car or person within, like, a mile. And, like, they're running away. Like, that guy, like, holding his hand up, like, going, Vando! Like, like they're, they're, like he's, like, booking, like, he's, like, in an action movie again. When he could just be like walking out. That like scene a boss. always reminds me of the Two Pines Wedding Chapel in Kill Bill Volume Two. It, it, the church looks the exact Ooh. same. That's my conspiracy theory. It's the same church. It's not in Kansas. It's in yeah, in <laughs> not in Kansas for sure. <laughs> I also think it's strange that uh, Hummel uh, has this plot to like go break into a naval base to steal these weapons, and he they kill these these navy guys as they're doing it. But he is like completely hesitant to take out the the seals that are going there to kill him it's like where's where's the justification in that like it just proves that like all along it was just like a, a bluff that he wasn't actually going to go kill a bunch of people well why was he willing to kill the navy guys who were just guarding i don't think post? he actually killed him i think he just knocked him out he didn't get shot no i don't think so i don't think a bullet was fired well I don't know. Either way, I, th I feel like that there's some contradiction there. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. 
I also don't like how uh, General Hummel talks about how when he was in Operation Desert Storm, he talks about how like on CNN, everyone saw the, the smart bombs hit the targets and it was his men on the ground that made those hits possible by lacing the targets. What does that mean? <laughs> like there were there were men on the ground and the bombs were fired at the at the U.S. military people. I don't get it. I don't know. Why do why do they need to be on the ground if the bombs are like programmed to hit these targets? I that doesn't make sense to me. Maybe they're the ones that found the exact targets. Yes, because they would need to be on the ground to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, we are we are spending 20 minutes talking about flaws in The Rock. I mean, th- this isn't exactly <laughs> Citizen Kane, you know. <laughs> But yeah, you're you're not watching, watching The Rock to make sure that all the plot points mesh with each other. Okay, well let's move let's move on from that then. Biggest douchebag, biggest douchebag slash LVP. Yes, we need to talk okay. about this. There's several candidates. Well, I like I, I was saying before the the White House chief absolutely of staff, he's Sinclair, one of mine. Like he, he says. Uh, you know, well, we, now we can add kidnapping and extortion to his list of accolades, and then it's like, wh- what's the casualty rate in a VX poison gas? 60 or 70? Oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> Plus, he's only 33. Like, what kind of president is going to give a 33-year-old chief of staff? Yes, exactly. And, and and plus he's like starting to interrupt Hummel like while while he's like going through his demands just to say like oh we we didn't we've never actually uh, admitted that we went to China. And, and, and Hummel just stops you know like, I mean? who are you? I mean, seriously, <laughs> who are you? Like, what? Why he's like a complete idiot, yet he's in the war room with all the smart people. Like, I, he's it's just a terrible character, but he is kind of funny. Sort of like the, uh, you know, the doctor in Apollo thirteen. <laughs> he has his role. Wasn't he your most valuable player though, the doctor in Apollo thirteen? Who's your MVP? And now, and now you're saying this guy reminds you of him. That's well, why he's your I, he, No, he was my favorite. He was my favorite minor. Oh, your character. favorite minor character. That's what I had him as. My my biggest douchebag slash LVP is the German guy who owns the Humvee. I mean, <laughs> I think the Humvee is very fascinating in this movie. I feel like in 1996, people didn't know that much about Humvees, so there was an emphasis in the chase by Michael Bay to show how the Humvee could like run over fruit stands and run over VW bugs and you know just like be this ultra militaristic vehicle that was not really meant for civilian use um but the German guy's a real douchebag because you know he it's not even even before the car is taken he's ta- he's compl- he's bitching about how he doesn't want any cr- any dents in it he doesn't want the valet to to misuse it why are you giving it to a valet then dude just f- freaking park the vehicle okay and then he has the nerve to call the phone in the Humvee <laughs> like come on you know just a total just a total douchebag and like most Germans i guess i don't mean to hurt your Humvee Okay, so for me, I've got I've got two different ones. One's my LVP, and one's my douchebag. My LVP is Marvin, played by Todd Luiso, um, because he's an he's just an oh, yeah. idiot. I mean, he's, he's like, oh, we're, he's we're a trainee gonna... though. Yeah, he's a trainee, and so let's let's go into the suspicious package and start playing with the doll. 
and not realizing <laughs> that it has a gas tank hooked up to it with poison gas and a bomb. So let's just start, ah, hey, how's it going? And then, oh man, this job is dangerous. I'm getting out of this government job. You want me to stab this in my heart? <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's my LVP. And my biggest douchebag is Womack. Because, I mean, this whole time, it's like, okay, all these people are going to die. But does that really mean we have to use Mason? <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, all these people are saved. Oh, but Mason died? Oh, show me show me his, his corpse. I want to see that son of a bitch. I mean, it's like, he doesn't care about, that's why, that's why Womack had to kill JFK. Because he doesn't care about anything in this other than... The fact that he has to use Mason, and it's like that's the one thing that he that that's gonna do. And he goes, "Really? There's, there's no other way to do this." And it's like, "Oh, oh, they're on the move." I knew it. <laughs> well, because he knows that Mason's a train killer and he's a threat to the country. But he also, after, like, like the FBI gets like really loose with their classified information as as it goes along, especially like he's just like. He just starts like giving up like what the microfilm was just because like oh the whole town's going in to the hell middle anyway, of a well public like, hallway. <laughs> I mean, I I would get it if you're like, okay, let's go behind closed doors over here and I'll tell you all about this. No, no, no. We're in the middle of the hallway of the Justice Department. Yeah, I think this is a good spot to start declaring confidential information that I've kept to myself for 30 years. And how does how does um what's his name how does uh how does uh phil baker hall know about mason who is he yeah who is phil baker even, hall he's not even credited in the movie yeah he's not even credited but <laughs> somehow he is the only other person that knows anything about mason in the world apparently i was gonna say that one of my conspiracy theories is that phil baker hall is the same character in this movie as he was in boogie nights <laughs> Um, the reason I couldn't put Womack as the LVP or douchebag, whatever you had, is that uh, the best line in the movie is is when Sean Connery says, Womack, why am I not surprised, you piece of shit? And, and you couldn't do that without Womack. I'm not saying he's the LVP. I'm saying he's the biggest douchebag. Okay, well, you I mean, can't be a douchebag when you have a line that great. He, but but that, that's like that's like Mason coming out and saying... Womack, you're a douchebag. <laughs> Womack is a great name for an action movie. Every action movie should have a character named Womack in it. And Sean Connery has to say his name. Womack! Yep. <laughs> See, I kind of like Womack in this movie. I, I think he kind of makes sense, you know? Like, he's got those reservations that he needs to cancel, and... Uh, you know he's distrustful he has every right to be distrustful of of john mason especially if todd's conspiracy theory is right that he's going to lead them into the you know this this danger and uh you know the, this massacre that happens and then he threatens to leave the island like womack is sort of the hero of this movie if you think about it okay so uh so here here's another conspiracy theory with this who todd i think you mentioned that 
or was it Zach, that Philip Baker Hall is the same character from Boogie Nights? Yeah. If, if that's the case, I also am going to say that, uh, that that character in both movies is also the same as Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Um, and, and it just continues on. And well, so, then it's not Womack who assassinated JFK. It was Philip Baker Hall. Ah, maybe that's the case. That's it. And so, so one of the things I, I was looking at, um, apparently there were a bunch of people that helped work on this screenplay. And to help kind of beef up some of the dialogue, because it was kind of a crappy screenplay to start with. But two of the people that had some influence there that actually worked on the screenplay that were uncredited were Quentin Tarantino and Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, to, nice. to kind of beef up some of the some of the dialogue, because believe it or not, it was even worse when it started. One of the <laughs> and, thing- and most of and most of the comedy was improvised on the spot. Like most of Nicolas Cage's lines that get the laughs he came up with on the spot. Like, he had to convince Michael Bay to keep Zeus's butthole in the movie. Yeah, I want I wanted to talk about that for a second, if that's okay. So I, I watched the movie with Nicolas Cage's commentary, and the, the two things that really stuck out to me were um, he talks about how... Uh, okay, one is the scene where he's having sex with uh, Carla on the porch, and Nicolas Cage in the commentary talks about that he was with a lot of women in his life and he would always talk dirty to them. And the things that he would talk dirty about were, and, and this is a direct quote from the commentary, amaretto cream, peach sorbet, and cheap wine. That's, that's how he talked dirty. And yeah, I thought that was great. I, I don't know what that has to do with anything. The other scene that he gave great commentary to was the interrogation scene with, with Mason. And he says that... Um, the way that he, I don't know how this came up, but in his conversations with Sean Connery, he mentioned to Sean Connery that Elvis, going into those scenes, Elvis was into chimps in two-way mirrors and girls with white panties fighting those chimps in in uh, scenes, in places that involved two-way mirrors. And apparently that resembled the set that they were at, and that made Sean Connery laugh a lot. And I don't know why Nicolas Cage was talking about that, but it, it's, it, it's wonderful <laughs> commentary. That's great material. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful right there. (laughs) Okay, so I I have I have something else I want to throw out, and this is going to be like a two or three part uh, category here. Oh God! So on our on our last podcast that we did a deep dive, when we did Boogie Nights. One of the categories we had was who would Nicolas Cage play in this movie? It needs to be in every. Well, Nicolas Cage is in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I'm gonna. I'm. This is as our Nicolas Cage segment. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw out three different questions here. One, who else would Nicolas Cage have played? Two, if this movie were made now, who would Nicolas Cage play? And three, who would be Stanley Goodspeed today? That's a lot of questions. It is a lot of questions. <laughs> See, this is about when we hit trivia well, th- every every time. I think so it's you're, obvious you're, that... you're to a point where you can't answer multiple questions in a row. I think back. it's obvious that Nicolas Cage would play General Hummel at this point. And I, I think so. I, I think it's also worth yeah. pointing out that if you ever watch the DVD, and it's also on YouTube, Ed Harris's outtakes as General Hummel are incredible to watch because this is kind of like the Ed Harris press conference for a history of violence where he throws shit on the wall and talks about what is violence? What is it? 
um, he really freaks out, and that is perfect for for today's Nicolas Cage. I think I think he would have really incorporated that into the general Hummel uh, role quite nicely. I would say that um, that if it were to happen today, Nicolas Cage would play the president. <laughs> <laughs> the president was one of my LVP candidates. He was really kind of lame in this movie. We so need, some, he needs a little more charisma. He he is also the guy who plays the president in Armageddon, another Michael Bay movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah, no, Nicolas Cage would just be that, that shadow of a of a character in in the background giving giving a monologue about the, the horrors of of the decisions he has to make. Yeah, yep. And then, and then, and then the I whole the rest it. of the movie, you're like, wait a second, was that was that Nicolas Cage? That would totally be what he would do. And get and get paid like two million. Exactly. exactly. The problem with Nicolas Cage's General Hummel is that his death scene is not spectacular enough. So he would need to have you know the death of the the Rocket Man or the death of the Marine who dies or, yeah, he needs a little bit more emphasis in his death. Either that or or uh, Nicholas Cage would play uh, would play uh, Paxton, the one, uh, William Forsythe's character. Mm, I could see him playing that maybe. one. God help us all. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him playing Major Tom, the David Morse character. I I feel like there's a lot of like juicy scenes between him and Hummel. Like that'd be a that'd be a pretty good Nick Cage part. What, was there a military movie made in the 90s that didn't have David Morse or John C. McGinley in it? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I mean, from, like, Platoon on, John C. McGinley was, like, a requirement for every uh, every war movie. See, the question I thought you were going to ask about this Nicolas Cage segment, Terry, was, since this movie has Nicolas Cage in it, the, instead the question is, who would John C. Riley play in this movie? Oh, well, there you go. Um, the barber. The g- <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a good question. He would. He's not a marine. John C. Riley would never be a marine. Um, which really limits his his potential roles. Um, well, he was in a mil- wasn't he in uh, what was it? Uh, what was that Vietnam movie with like uh, Michael J. Fox? Casualties of Casualties War. Casualties of War. It was, it was I guess he was Army in that, but yeah, I mean he's he's he was in Casualties before. of War. I don't wasn't know. I, I believe I, you. I mean, I could I just, be crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it, it, it? I'm looking it up. I think I'm right. The only other thing I wanted to mention with this movie that we haven't mentioned yet is I I think this movie, you know, they spent seventy five million dollars or whatever on you know this lavish car chase and you know the underwater sequence and all these big action sequences, and you're telling me that you can't spend a couple million dollars to have a Beatles song in this movie? Right after the scene when Stanley Goodsby talks about how he's a Beatles freak and spends $600 on his LP, which now we know the title of is Meet the Beatles, and you can't put one Beatles song in this movie, Michael Bay? I mean, come on, you know? You got this unlimited budget. Why not? 
Well, while he's having sex with Carla, like uh, Rocket Man's playing. It's not a Beatles song, though. Well, I know, but they use that. That's to make the reference later be even cooler. I know, but it's not a Beatles song. He talks about being a Beatles super freak. There's a setup there, but there's never any payoff. Because it's too cheap to pay for a Beatles song. Copyright. He's not a. He's a chemical super freak. Not he a talks about being freak. a. And yes, John C. Radley is in Casualties Four. <laughs> no, yeah. Either either you uh, you foot the money for a Beatles song, or uh, you make him an Elton John super freak. You know what's kind of and interesting? He's buying an Elton John LP. You know what's kind of interesting is Led Zeppelin couldn't have been big by 1963, so John Mason must have been out. Of, he must have escaped by then, which would make sense why Jade is under 30 years old but it doesn't make sense how john mason was really locked up for 30 years so maybe he's just lying about it going back to todd's theory yeah i don't know i always like the theory that that mason is actually james bond i always like that theory that that this is that Sean Connery is John Patrick Mason. He's actually James Bond and has been locked up after he stole the microfilm. Maybe Mason's identity is on the microfilm. Ah, oh, the plot thickens. All right. Well, uh, how do we want to wrap this up? What do we? Uh, you guys have any more random thoughts you want to mention before we go to quotes? We got to go MVP. Oh, we haven't done MVP yet. Oh, yeah, it's a big one. MVP. Well, I have two options for MVP. One is Hans Zimmer, because this is as <laughs> prototypical of a Hans Zimmer score as possible, but it really works with this type of action movie, and I think it makes the tension really real. But, like, in terms of characters, it is definitely William Forsythe as Special Agent Ernest Paxton, because he's the one who keeps it together, like, the whole movie, and he covers up, you know, Goodspeed lying about how uh, Mason was vaporized, that poor bastard. And, uh... Like, uh, he has that, like, pre-game speech with, with Goodspeed in the, like, in the bathroom after he, when he starts throwing up, when he finds out he's going with the SEALs. He, he's saying how, you like, you need to keep your mind on the situation, and, and, uh, you got, you're trained to do this, and, you know, I just feel like without him, Goodspeed would never have been hell-bent on, you know, finding some rockets! So, yeah. William, William Forsythe's character is the MVP of all of the actual characters. My MVP is General Hummel. I mean, he was never intending to launch the rockets at San Francisco. Uh, he never wanted to kill anyone. It was it was painful for him to kill anyone. And the movie really excessively sets, sets it up in the, in the first 20 minutes, um, especially when he talks to, like, the little girls and he says, little girls, go back to your teacher, you know, get on your bus, get, get out of Alcatraz. He's such a caring individual that he doesn't even want to put the little girls in harm's way on their on their school field trip. So uh, he's he's the real hero because he's sticking his neck out for these servicemen who are apparently on the ground in Operation Desert Storm somehow. I don't know how, but they were, and they didn't lacing get properly compensated. Lacing the targets. Comp- lacing the targets, and they were not properly compensated. He's the hero. Uh, my MVP, I'm going to go with uh, Major Tom, played by David Morse, because he's like the one guy that, as Hummel's doing all this stuff, that is at his side, keeping him grounded, and like he's the one guy that can look at, at Hummel and say, cut the crap. What is actually going on here? He, he calls him Frank. Yeah. 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 He actually calls him <laughs> by his first name. 
And, and then when it comes down to it, he's the guy, he's the one guy that will stick up for him and fight by his friend to the end, like literally to the end. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm going, I'm going with him because he's, he's the one guy that's able to, to stand by Hummel and, uh, and tell him what he needs to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like that, that one, one too. I think for for a more eccentric or esoteric MVP, I would go Michael Bay because Michael Bay was only 31 years old when he made this movie, and I think that's pretty impressive. And he had only really made Bad Boys up to this point, and um, I think the thing that's so cool about this movie, watching it again, is you you really start liking Bayhem, you know, and uh, you forget about the problems with like you know Transformers and Pearl Harbor, and you can see why his style of filmmaking is is really kind of fun to watch because, you know, there's like ten angles for every shot, and um, you got to think about like all the detail that goes into that. And I, I don't know, I I just I, it it this movie really makes me like Michael Bay, and that's impressive considering all the terrible movies he's made since then. Yeah, he really got out of control after this. Yes. What's his second best movie? The Island. The, the, the Island is, is actually a pretty Ooh. good movie. Other than that, I don't think he's ever made any good movies. But The Island, the Island's alright. It's not bad. I know, I don't even like 13 Hours, and that seems to be everyone else's choice. No, it, that, was, that wasn't great. No. I would, even ha- I would have to check to even think about that. Yeah, Island is a decent choice. I mean... Armageddon is fun. No, it's Armageddon. It's just like is an terrible. overblown, overblown, ridiculous version of this. Um, Pearl Harbor for the battle scenes is good, oh. but the the but but no 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 the, no like like the like the half hour that they're actually talking Pearl Harbor is good, and the rest of it is is ridiculous. Um, this movie makes you want to watch another Michael Bay movie. This makes this movie makes you think like <laughs> M- Michael Bay is actually a pretty cool director, and he's not that far removed from like Spike Jones because he comes from the video from from music videos, and he looks. At, just go with me here for a second. He looks a little like Alexander Payne, at least in his interviews from the nineteen nineties, and that can't be a bad thing, right? Like, he would probably wear, like, an Alcatraz Island shirt in this movie. Like, Alexander Payne wore a Frass Canyon shirt <laughs> on the set of Sideways. Yeah. So, I was I was reading through the trivia page on, uh, on uh, IMDb, getting ready for this, and one of the things that it said was Michael Bay was, was being Michael Bay and on, on set, and Sean Connery was, like, calling him out on his lunacy at times which helped make the film a little more tame because nobody argues with Sean Connery and Sean Connery could just call him out on something it's like that's ridiculous and be like okay we'll do it different <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's what it was maybe this is like the last time that that Michael Bay directed actors like all three of the leads you could even say he directed actors that could call him out on his crap and say like no that's not how it's going to be best done this is how it's going to be best done and he'd have to say okay and then from then on he's like i'm only going to work with actors who will listen to every word i say so i can make my crappy movies yeah i'm also looking at michael bay's filmography and imdb pain and gain was not a bad movie either that would be his third best movie 
his his least yeah. ambitious movie. It was. It, you're right. It was. It was a lot more story driven. It was basically like the closest that Michael Bay will ever get to like doing Shakespeare. You know, like a witty, you know, erudite screenplay was Pain and Gain, and 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 that was not a bad movie. Uh, all right. Any other final thoughts before we move on? No. Okay. <laughs> well, other than the fact that when Goodspeed stabs himself with the with the injection thing, he like he looks like he's like convulsing on the ground. It looked like a re a replay of his death scene in Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, a little bit. Well, and and that's the most Nicolas Cage moment of the movie. Like, you know, you'd like to think that's mo- the most Nicolas Cage moment. <laughs> yes. I mean, seriously. What? Wait. What else is there? That should be well, okay. So here's another category. What? What's the most Nicolas Cage moment of the movie? You know my vote. I just need some rockets. <laughs> I'm not free sucker. I feel like that. Like that's where he like officially like Nick Cage is in his action movie now, <laughs> officially. Or or you gotta go with you also have to go with how in the name of Zeus's butthole. Did you get out of your cell? Because, I don't know, it, it could be proved to be useful information. Maybe! <laughs> That's a very Nicolas Cage moment. No, it's it's stabbing himself with a syringe. That has to be it. I mean, giving okay. himself an injection, and then, you know, the feet squirming up, and, you know, the death scene. I, I You know, or near I death want, scene. I want to know I, how that works. I mean, is this just like, is this atrophy like just this miracle drug that that can cure any poison gas. I mean, this is supposed to like melt your skin and, and Oh, Oh yeah, this is going to melt your skin. But you know, if you inject something in your heart, instantly your skin is healed. What? That that makes no sense. It's an action movie ploy. Really? Yeah. Um, the, uh, I'll say one one more random thought. Uh, it's kind of funny that the the uh, the lead fighter pilot that drops the bombs is played by Jim Caviezel. Oh and, yeah, like, I was going to point that role. out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good job, Jim Caviezel. Yep, yep. I already dropped them. No. Could we say that the big that the best death scene in this movie is John Mason's death? The one that doesn't exist. That's very meta. I thought Vaporize, you, sir. I thought you might go with that, Terry, for your best death scene. Well, his body, death is going to be can, while he's trying to swim the, the channel. A body can do that? It can just vaporize? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I heard, uh, I was reading through, the, reading through the trivia. Apparently, Michael Bay at one point wanted to make a sequel to The Rock. And it was, um, and it, what it would have been is the FBI would have been chasing down Stanley Goodspeed because he had stolen the microfilm and he had it and he didn't have anyone that he could trust. And the only person he could trust is by going back to John Mason. Ah, makes sense. They should still do that. I know they should. They should. <laughs> Connery hasn't made a movie in 16 years. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last movie Sean Connery made? A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Wow. That was his last movie. What would be a worse last movie? A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or uh, that movie with, that Gene Hackman made with Ray Welcome Romano? to Mooseport. Welcome to Mooseport. Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, should we, uh, should we wrap this up with a quote? Let's do it. All right. Quote of the day. Uh, 
Should I go first again and attempt to steal your quote, Zach? Yeah. Okay. I hope you don't steal it. And then Zach will I, steal I, mine. Yeah, there's so many great quotes in this. Um, so my my quote is uh, is actually the quote immediately preceding one that's already been quoted on this podcast. And it was it might be the cheesiest quote in the whole movie, but I heard it for the first time. I really heard it today when I listened to it and uh, when I watched it, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, so it's it's John Mason uh, talking to Womack uh, after he's hung him out the out the window, and he's trying to convince him that he has to go because he's the only he he only knows the uh, the uh, the inner workings of Alcatraz if he's there. So he looks at him and goes, Womack. You're between the rock and a hard case. <laughs> and then he says, how's your bowling arm? <laughs> that is a good line. I it's thought a about great using line. that line. <laughs> my, my, my other line that I had was, um, what about Mr. Henderson's head? And he gives him the thumbs up. Okay. What do you mean? That's my, that was another good one. Okay. Uh, Zach, go ahead. All right, well, uh, my favorite line in this movie is, Womack, you piece of shit. But uh, I'm going to go with a different line. Um, this is when uh, Nicolas Cage and uh, Sean Connery are, you know, in their sewer system. And, uh, you know, Sean Connery seems to be very kind of flippant and having a bad attitude about it. And uh, Nicolas Cage says, are you enjoying this? And then Sean Connery says, well, it's certainly more enjoyable than my average day. Reading philosophy, avoiding gang rape in the washroom, though it's less of a problem these days. Maybe I'm losing my sex appeal. Yeah, that was one of the ones I was thinking about, too. That's a great one. <laughs> like, it's a total Bond quote. Like, oh, like an aging Bond. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Todd. Well, the I was going with the ultimate like James Bond quote, which is right after he gets his hair cut, he motions to Womack and says, <laughs> "My secretary will shuttle the bill." <laughs> I've always liked that line too. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's thrown low key shade at uh, at Womack. It is. It is. All right, and with that, we uh, we bring our deep dive of the Rock. To a close, thank you so much for listening. Once again, subscribe, rate, review. You don't want to go over the Twitter questions, Terry? Oh, let me see. Did we get any tw- Twitter questions? I've been waiting to see I, if we got I any. Think, I think you got at least one. Oh, I got one. I got one from. Uh, hold on, hold on. We have one here from at uh, Prozac thirty six. Uh, we already answered this question though, Zach. Well, we asked the who really killed JFK. Who really killed JFK? <laughs> Womack. That's my answer. Uh, well, I, was say, Womack. I say Philip Baker Hall. <laughs> Todd, who really killed JFK? Uh, I don't know. I'll go J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> he actually killed him. Uh, he was the one on the grassy knoll. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, we will catch you next time with a with a regular episode where we'll uh, where we'll count down some uh, some power rankings. We'll review something that uh, something recent that is coming out in theaters. And until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.